0: your liberality, uh, your generosity into the kingdom of God. We appreciate uh, your faithfulness, beloved. We thank you, worship team, for your faithfulness in leading us into the presence of God, into worship this morning. We thank God for you, uh, and we dearly appreciate all of you this morning. I want you to go with me to Matthew uh, chapter 15 this morning, the book of Matthew uh, chapter 15. I uh, found this old story as I was uh, just browsing uh, through some illustrations that I begin to uh, find relevance to the sermon that I'm about to minister to you on. And um, it spoke about a man by the name of Conrad uh, Reed who discovered a 17-pound rock Uh, while fishing in a lake. Not knowing what it was made of, uh, Conrad used that rock as a doorstop for three years. Later on, his father, John Reed, uh, took it to a jeweler, who identified that that rock, that lump that they were using all those years, was actually a, a, a lump of gold. Worth about 3,600 U.S dollars. That lump of gold which was used for that three years is one of the biggest gold nuggets ever found east of the Rockies. And so when you think about Conrad and the story of the gold nugget, and you think about what they've been using as a doorstopper all these years you would only have to agree that here's 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 some people who have failed to determine the value because it was unknown. They had no clue, they had no idea how to measure the value of it. So in their minds, this was all it was to them. And I want to talk to you concerning something that I believe is if not the most important thing in our walk with God, as simple as it is, yet so profoundly needed, I want to speak to you for a few moments on the subject of faith. Because it is true, beloved, that what you and I must count as goal is our faith that we place on God. And as we consider that, We know this morning that faith indeed is the basis. Faith is the fundamental in which our Christianity is built on. There is much that we don't see, if you understand what I'm saying. You read the Word of God, yet you don't see much of it in real life, but we believe it through faith. We've not seen a lot of these things yet it is faith that makes us choose to believe that it is indeed true. The Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Jesus told Doubting Thomas that blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, that somehow in the connotation of those words describe how God honors faith and true faith, We see God. And I want to talk to you from the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Read the story of a woman who came to Jesus, battling a demon-possessed child. She came to Jesus, seeking for help, and we see what Jesus responded to her in this passage. Matthew 15 uh, 21 through 28 beloved as we read that this morning let me just get there then jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and sidon and behold a woman of canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying have mercy on me O lord son of david my daughter is severely demon possessed but he answered her not a word And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread, throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your fate. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So here we find in our text a narration, a story of a woman, a Gentile, if you would, from Canaan. She is an outcast. She is a non-Jew, and she's the Canaanite, which is she's a Canaanite, which simply means she was Israel's greatest enemy. And so, when you think about this, you think about her status, you think about her background, you think about the outcast that she is, you think about her nationality, you think about all that is involved in who she is, the odds were stacked against her. Yet, here's a woman who came out boldly. Here's a woman who said, you know what, I'm going to put all of that aside. I am not going to be concerned what people say. I am not going to be concerned about what my background and my culture is. I am going to step out. She came out with a status to encounter a miracle for her daughter. And because what really mattered to God wasn't her status, wasn't her background, wasn't her upbringing, wasn't her, 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 uh, 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 the word I'm trying to get, uh, the lineage, wasn't the lineage, but rather it was her faith that moved God. Her faith, her faith, as simple as this sounds, I make it clear to you that what moves God ultimately is faith is choosing to say God I trust what you say irregardless of what I see that is what real faith looks like knowing who she was think about this Canaanite Gentile woman knowing who she was She knew the person, she knew who Jesus viewed her as, yet she came by faith, refusing to allow other people's opinion to hinder from receiving a miracle. And Unreservedly this morning, unapologetically, I will go on to say that faith was the component that positioned this woman to experience and encounter God. It was faith. And I speak to you on this note for a few moments. Because faith is so vital to our relationship with God that the absence of faith will only produce religious calisthenics. All it will be, if there was no faith, we're just simply religiously coming to church, we are simply religiously praying, We are simply religiously giving. We are simply religiously witnessing. If there is no content of faith, then there is an absence of relationship. And I say to you this morning, beloved, that faith cannot and must not be separated from the life of a believer. Somewhere, we all... You heard the story of our sister. Somewhere, it was faith that moved God. It was the choosing of trusting. It was the decision, as I preached last week, in the silence of saying, God, you are going to keep your word, and I choose to trust it. Whether COVID or no COVID, whether economy recession or no economy, I trust you will provide. That takes faith. And I began to think about this woman, and I thought about how Christianity is built on the subject of faith. Think about it with me for just a few moments. Faith is so necessary that it actually takes that five-letter word to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. Let me ask you, how do you know? What makes you believe He is the Son of God? Faith. Pastor, prove it to me. I can give you the best proof. You can give me the best proof. But it still demands faith. Let me give you an example. We were, we were just talking about light the relativity and how light is absolute. No matter what you say, that's light. It's like gravity. No matter how you argue, what goes up is going to come down except your age. (laughs) How nice that also comes down. (laughs) But we know that principle is true. That what Indeed goes up, it's going to come. You can argue all you want. But it's a principle. It's a principle of life. How do you know that it exists? Faith. You see, there's a lot of things in life we cannot explain. We just choose to believe and Trust. There's a lot of things we cannot make sense of, but we choose to believe and trust. And I'm not saying we must not go and study the facts. I'm not saying that we must not go and study the scientific background of it. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting that we foolishly just believe things just because people say it. But I'm saying to you, if anything is true, God is not a liar. He keeps His Word. And you can be certain that God in His Word word can be taken with the currency of faith. What God says can be trusted. You see, it takes faith to believe He's coming again. It takes faith to believe He says who He is. It takes faith. None of us here have met Jesus physically. It takes faith. He says, I'm the comforter he says i'm the one who gives you peace it takes faith to believe that it's true it is who he says he is it takes faith to believe that our sowing today will result in reaping tomorrow it takes faith you see faith is the choosing to consciously trust god removing the substance of faith will only crumble christianity Christianity will be another set of religion. It will just be religious if there is an absence of faith. So let's talk then, since I've established the substance of faith with you, I want to talk about the discrete attack and assault against faith in our culture today. Because if you think about it today, the discrete, assault against our faith is producing in our generation of Christians a culture of self-dependence. I say that again. The assault against our faith today, the attack against our faith today, is producing a culture of self-dependence amongst Christians. And I'll talk to you a little further on this, but look at Ephesians 6.16. Elaborate in a moment. Ephesians 6.16, the Bible says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery duds of the wicked one. There is a battle that's going on. There is a battle that we are forefronted with. The Bible says taking the shield of faith. The enemy's aim is to attack our faith. The enemy's aim is to stumble us in our faith. The enemy's aim is to rob us of our faith in God and who God says He is. And I can say, beloved, that the lack of faith amongst many believers today is becoming dangerously common. The enemy is raising up a generation who practices what they don't believe in. We're just doing it because we know the church tells us to do it. Or we're just praying because pastors said to pray. We're just doing it for the sake of religious calisthenics. There's no faith involved. Faith is completely absent and the enemy is successful in making us a, a product of being a puppet and causing us to forget that what makes us Christians is the faith that we have in God. Our text informs us as you go back to Matthew 15 in verses 22 she cried out to him saying have mercy on me o lord son of david my daughter is severely demon possessed she is crying out you can you can see this you can You can see what's happening here. You can visualize in her desperation. She is a desperate mother crying out for her child who has become or who is possessed. And Jesus, the Bible says, let's go back to what I said last week, remains silent. Do you see that in verses 3? I told you I'll write a book on in the silence probably somewhere. But the Bible says he remained, in verses 23, he remained silent without speaking a word. What does that mean? Silent. <laughs> Help my child! And all Jesus does is... You have no heart. Can I make a statement to you here? Listen. Listen carefully to me. I was in the shower this morning and I really felt God. But sometimes, 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 it is in the silence that people care the most. Sometimes it is in the silence that people care the most. Have you met people who perpetually have to say something? Who have to always talk? Sometimes we have to let people know that we really care in the silence. And that's what Jesus was doing. She knew that even though he was silent, he truly cared. He was concerned. He didn't write her off because the Bible says the disciples came to Jesus and what did he say? What did the disciples say? Get rid of her. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not what you do. He responded. He spoke to this woman. He approached and he allowed this woman to approach him. And I say to you, beloved, here are his disciples, well-intentioned, no doubt. They urged him to send her away. They discreetly discouraged her faith. They were trying to attack her faith. Think about it. Why you want to trust God? No need to trust God. Can God really help you, uh? Do you think God, how many know there are some Christians who do that with people? You don't have to trust God for your circumstances. There are other ways to resolve your problem. And I for one am not a person who likes to sit around. I believe that we must be solution Concern and thinking people. We must find ways to resolve every problem. But somewhere in life, you're going to have to simply come to a place and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I've done the best I can. Now, I'm going to trust you. And they of all people, the disciples, they've been with Jesus now. They know what he's capable of doing. They know what kind of strength he had. They know the miracles Jesus could perform. They know of all that they could do. But they suggested, knowing the power of God, they suggested that she went away. This troubled me. This troubled me because think about it. In the circle of where Jesus was present, these words of the disciples will do one thing it will kill fate. It will be like a culture and I'll talk to you in a moment about a culture because And my reading, I realized that there are cultures, there are reasons why you find a top 10 workplaces and so on and so forth. What are the cultures that they have in those places that makes it conducive for them? Can I say to you, beloved, when we begin to rob people of the atmosphere where faith is embraced, when people want to trust God, when we want people to believe for God for their miracle, but rather we begin to input and we begin begin to present a different method. Beloved, sometimes if we're not careful, we rob them of the faith that they want to apply and have in God. Whether we like it or not, can I say to you, beloved, just like the disciples, we are responsible in setting an atmosphere of faith in the church. We are responsible for that. We are responsible. Today, we have advancement, we have technology, we have intelligence. There's a reason why I mention that self-reliance and self-dependence is robbing Christians of the faith that they must have in God today. Today, we have very smart people, we have intellects, we have geniuses around. You know, when they come to God, most of the time, when they have tried everything the world has to offer and they realize, nothing works, I need God. And then God get the last cope. Am I right? The last go, I, tried this, I, tried that, I tried this, I tried that, I tried this, I tried that, I tried this, I tried that, I tried that, I tried everything tried. Options, every option out there you tried. Then finally you say, Okay, la, I come to God. La. Why does God get the last place? Why doesn't He get the first place? Why don't we run to Him when we are in need? Say, God, I'm not depending on. Human being, I'm depending on you. Here's this woman. She came to realize, she might have gone, I don't know, you know, demon possessed, maybe she seeks some psychiatrist, maybe she went to a doctor, uh, maybe she went and visited her friend, and then she spoke, and then they, they spoke to Lenz, and then they came to conclusion, nobody can help you lah. Maybe she strikes some mandram, you know mandram is, Right? Some kind of voodoo, witchcraft, all you know, you, you, you did did something to make it happen. And then finally come to God. You see, if we're going to establish a culture of faith in the church, as believers, we must learn to run to God. And this is where the Bible tells us: look at look at Jesus, look at Jesus. He's dealing with a culture here. In Matthew 16:23. The Bible says, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Are you, are you getting this? Yes, yes Peter Peter heard, heard uh, uh, what Jesus said, I'm going to have to be crucified. I'm going to have to die for the sins of humanity. And then what did Peter say? No, Lord, I cannot allow that to happen to you. I mean, this is such a noble rebuke. This is such a noble uh, request to God. I love you so much. How can I let you die? I love you. And what does Jesus turn to him and say? Get behind me, Satan. I mean, think about what Jesus said here. You would think to yourself, Jesus, are you a nutcase? What's wrong with you? Why don't you see? He cares for you. He loves you. But you know what Jesus saw? Not the statement, not the words. But what kind of culture, Peter's words would form among the disciples. You know what will happen from that? Because one man said that, and Jesus began to say, okay, 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 I'm not going to die. You know what will happen? Nobody else will be willing to sacrifice their life for the gospel. It's a culture. Because one man said, okay, fine, fine, I won't die, I won't die. I won't die for the people. How many know, you release a domino effect one person starts, and then the next. You, you've been to places, and you've seen, uh, 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 you know, in, in different settings where only one person has to do one thing, and then slowly the next person follows, the next person follows, and the next person follows, and then the next person. It's, it becomes a culture. It becomes a trend. It becomes something that people start following. And this is what Jesus was rebuking. He said, I cannot do that, Peter. Because it will produce an environment amongst all of us that nobody else will be willing to lay down their life. Let me tell you something right here. Your words creates a culture in the church. The words you speak, the things you say, creates a culture in the church. And one of the things we want to always maintain as a church is we want to maintain an atmosphere of faith in the congregation. The Bible says in Matthew 13, 58, look at, look at Jesus' words right here, beloved. It says, Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You see how much the devil attacks Faith. Because if He can attack our faith, He can rob us of the miracles that God wants to do in our midst. He can remove all the power that God wants to do in us. Now, faith is no longer needed. Somehow, we come to church. Somehow, our prayers. Somehow, everything we do is just religious. And because we don't need God, we're not desperate for God. We have, we have answers from other places. We have options from other places. So God doesn't move in the miraculous because He sees there is a lack of faith. And then we wonder, God, why aren't you doing this? God, why aren't you bringing healing? God, why aren't you providing miraculously? God, why aren't you... Because there is an absence of faith. But how did it start? We started speaking words of doubt. We started speaking words that promote other methods that don't glorify God. And then we wonder why God's not moving. Can I tell you the new age will kill what God wants to do. Whatever this age is showing us, the intelligence, and and nothing wrong with that. We thank God for technology. You're looking at a tech geek here. I love technology. But I'll tell you, beloved, somewhere you're going to have to be very, very careful if it robs you in trusting God. I don't need God anymore. Yeah, I pray, Pastor, I pray, but I got all the answers. I know what to do. So where's faith? Where's faith? Somehow, when faith is eliminated, God's power is decreased. The need to trust God is so important for every believer. When there is an absence of desperation for God, there's always an absence of faith. You know, when I got saved, 2001, when I gave my life to Christ, many decisions I made out of faith in trusting God. Many decisions to stand up in school, to be a testimony in school, to walk in righteousness, to obey in what God commanded me to do. I used to be up in the morning at the age of 14 years old. I will wake up at 4 a.m. every day and pray. Wow, you like a priest, man. <laughs> no, no, I loved God. I, I did it because, I. come on, if you love playing a sport, what do you do? You wake up at 4 a.m. and go run. Because it's a passion. It's a passion. You enjoy it. You want to pursue it. You want to find time to do it. I loved God. I had a passion for God. And I was sharing with the Bible study group on Friday. I got up every day, 4 a.m. in the morning. I would, wake, I would go into the shower about 6 in the morning, 6.30. I will we'll head off to school. And I did this until I finished high school. I'd still do it till today. I've not changed that. But in the process, I would come home in the afternoon, and at 2 in the afternoon, I would have my lunch. And then at 3, I would go to my room, lock my door, and I would spend time praying again. There was something in my heart. I desired God. I trusted what He said. When I graduated, by faith, I trusted God for a job. After I took the church by faith I left my job. And there are times I've had to personally encounter God. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. No answers, I just trust God. No no solution, I just trusted God. I put myself in that place. Choosing not to merely be deviated and controlled by what people say and i can tell you beloved god has indeed been faithful because when you have faith in god god will always remain faithful and i say to you christians listen to me carefully we need to stop trying to play jesus we don't have the answers to everything amen I know we think we do, but we need to stop trying to plagiarize. We need to let people have their own encounters with God. God heal me. Venus is a testimony. We didn't enter. That's why sometimes I believe in pastoring I'm going to say this again, but through silence, because I want you to encounter. God. I don't want to keep harping on you. I was talking to Siva a few, maybe a week or two ago. I said, sometimes you see I'm silent because I don't want to keep telling people what to do. I want them to make their own decision. That's free will. God doesn't come down and put a knife and believe in me. Or God doesn't call you like 100 times a day and say, come la, come, come la, come, come, come. He leaves you. To make your own decision. Am I right? What does that produce? It produces faith. Because then you turn back and you say, God helped me. Not brother so and so, not sister so and God helped me. God answered my prayer. Yes, God uses people. Amen. Thank God for that. God uses people around us. God uses the minds, the brains. Thank God for doctors. Thank God for medicine. Thank God for all that we have to. Thank God for all that. But God uses ways to reveal Himself to you and I. And that takes faith. And we must learn somewhere, beloved, to trust God with all that God will do. This is the faith that the enemy is trying to take away from the kingdom of God. This is the faith the enemy is trying to remove from our hearts. And so the question then, are we setting an environment? Are we creating an atmosphere in the church? Are we creating an atmosphere in our homes? Are we creating an atmosphere in the uh, uh, places that we are at to see God work in and through us? Are we allowing people to personally experience God? work in their lives. You see, it's so important we set a conducive culture for people to trust God. And this is what you see the disciples trying to eliminate. Let's bring this down really quickly. I was reading a book not long ago, The Boundaries. I, I, I love the boundary series. I, I picked up the whole series, Boundaries for Leaders. I was just reading that a while ago. And in that story, he said culture shaping is like smoothie making. Smoothie. Smoothie making has become an art form. Some prefer to stick to the basics, others will try anything. That's what's brilliant about smoothies. The combinations are unique and endless, and we can each have a recipe for our own signature blend. Workplace culture is much the same. As a leader, you choose what ingredients you allow in your cultural smoothie and which ones you don't want. And you document that recipe so you can replicate it and share it with others. Culture and values shape workplaces experience which fuels beliefs which drives action and results you want to be sure your culture drives the right experiences beliefs actions and results it's not about making people happy it's about driving results if your culture isn't producing the right results and attracting retaining and engaging the right people then you have a problem. So here's Henry Cloud. He says that setting a culture is like smoothie making. You decide what you put in, you decide what you, there's no rules to it. And the Bible this morning is our main recipe book. We follow what the scripture says to develop a culture in our our midst, to develop a culture of faith. You see, this is what's so saddening. One time people believed God for a job and miracles. Today, people don't believe God anymore. They just pick up the phone and call somebody. And is that wrong? No. But don't take the element of faith out of your relationship with God. You have to trust God. Hey, bro, do you have a job? Yes. But you trusted God in faith for that direction. The the, the faith element cannot be taken away. Hebrews eleven seventeen to 22, let's, let's bring this down to a close. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your, sh- your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones by faith by faith by faith there was an ambience of faith in scripture working in faith listen to me carefully faith without works the bible says is dead you don't sit around and hope for success to come without doing anything right we nothing happens you must have faith plus works with God on your side, that equals success. You have to work. You have to do what it takes. But I'm trying to help you understand how vital and how important faith is in everything that you do. In everything that you do. Faith is so critical and necessary. And I'm challenging you this morning to think with me about this woman. Here's this woman. The Bible says that she ran to Jesus in verses 25, Lord help me can you hear the cry lord help me she was desperate she was at a place at a point in her life where she was desperate and i realized that the desperate cry to jesus involved faith and it was personal jesus's response made her realize her position he was picturing as a family listen to this yes lord even the little dogs in verses 27 many people get confused with that scripture let me explain to you what the scripture means he said it is not good in verses 26 sorry verses 26 uh uh but he answered and said it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs what does he mean by that now The Gentiles in those days were known as dogs. This was a derogatory term used. Israel, The people of Israel hated the Gentiles. So anytime they referred to the Gentiles, they referred to them as dogs. It was a cultural thing. And so in that time, when this woman who was a Gentile came to Jesus and said, you know, can you do this for me? Jesus immediately was simply trying to respond to her in saying, you know what? At the table, only family sits. You're not family. You're a dog. Are you getting this? You're a dog. This was a derogatory term. This was a rude term term in those days and and but but she would recognize it because she knew who she was she didn't retaliate she didn't no no no! how dare you say that about me you call me a dog no she didn't say that she understood what jesus was saying and in her smart way of answering in her desperation have you ever been in a situation where you just don't want to blow it the guy is so rude to you but you know you desperately need his help right you go to a council office. And, <laughs> and you will try to be so polite. And he's testing your patience. Right? And you know I need him to approve this. So I'm just going to be nice. This was the woman right here with Jesus. Okay, call me a dog. Lah. Never mind. I just smile. Because I need help. Are you following me? And so what did Jesus say? No dogs allowed in the stable. This is for family. It says the dogs will eat the crumb from the family stable. After the family is eaten, they just sweep it off the table and then the dogs come and lick and eat. She says, Even if I had to eat like a dog, I'd rather do that than walk away. What was she saying? Only you can help me right now. I understand how badly I need you. To, that is faith right there. She realized, you know what? I can have money, I can have position, I can have title, I can have contacts. I can have all that in life. And fantastic, great. We have people around us who have that. I'm not telling you to cut that off. Don't. Thank God for those people God put around you. But you still need Jesus to seal the deal, it takes God's help. It takes a miracle. In this woman's case, it was a demon possessed child. In your case, it could be a business deal. In your case, it could be your children. In your case, it could be a marriage. In your case, it can be anything. You know, you have all the right context, but how many know it comes down to one thing only God you still need God to help you. If you take faith out, then your sole dependence is on men and never on God. And this is what the woman teaches us in this passage as we close. She teaches us that her desperation caused her to encounter God. Her desperation produced faith And I say to you this morning, people must become desperate. Have you given water to someone who's not thirsty? Hey, drink lah. I I don't want to drink, I'm not thirsty. Hey, eat lah. I don't want to eat, I'm not hungry. But you know how many times people do that for people? They give water to people who don't want water. They give food to people who don't want food. But I say to you, it must come to a place of desperate. When people are desperate, when people are desperate, faith begins to rise. And we must allow this desperation to permeate the church. This is where they experience, this is where we encounter God. In our desperation, we begin to pray. In our desperation, we begin seeking. In our desperation, we turn our attention to God. In our desperation, when we know no one else can help, we come humbly before God. And that is why I believe, I will say this to you as we close, the church as believers, you and I must learn that desperation is what produces faith. And we need a church that is desperate. I'm not speaking against anything that you have in life. No, don't take this sermon out of context. But I'm saying to you, faith is very necessary. The Bible says... That this woman, Jesus responded to her as we close in verses 28. Oh woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Which tells me one thing this evening, this morning church. Faith grows. Faith is not static. Faith doesn't stay one size. The Bible says that this woman had great faith. Now it didn't start there. Her faith journey didn't start there. Her faith journey began when she was at home and she was sitting down, contemplating and saying, you know what, should I go and see this guy? Should I go and see Jesus? Jesus? People will condemn me. People will mock me. People will criticize me. "And she said, "No, you know what? I'm going to go. Yes, I'm fearful, I'm afraid, but I'm going to step out." "And she stepped out. She came to where Jesus was. She saw Jesus, and she said, ah, "How many times we walk away from the people we want to approach Atapala, another time?" No, she didn't do that. She saw Jesus, and what did she do? She approached Jesus. She could have walked away. It took faith again. And then as she approached Jesus, she's standing there. She could have murmured or she could have just, you know, stumbled with the words. Never mind, Jesus, it's okay. Never mind. I I I, I, go away because I'm scared. No, she took faith and she spoke. And when Jesus heard her, the disciples were rude. Said, just send her away, like get rid of her. What's the she stood there? It took faith. It took faith. She didn't go. And Jesus responded to her great. Because her faith had grown. So let me ask you this morning where's your faith? You see, silently the devil takes our faith in God away, and he tries to cause us to trust men more than God. And this is the danger. Is it wrong to trust men? No. I'm balanced, church. I understand. But I'll tell you, you must never, ever lose your trust in God. Everything that God works, everything. You've done your best, you've labored your best, you've done everything you can, and God is the one. And Jesus complimented this woman, said, great is your faith. If there's one thing that is evident all through Scripture, just observe. You just have to read Old Testament, New Testament as we close. All through the Scripture, we find the lesson of faith. God is teaching us. Every time you go through trials, can I tell you this? You can write it down if you want. If you... Siva, mean Nothing deep. I'll tell you now itself. Okay, nothing deep. <laughs> nothing deep. I know, I know you're expecting this heavy, heavy, you know, duty revelation. No, all through scripture. When I heard that, that was epic. Like... <laughs> It all right. (laughs) High expectation. (laughs) Heavenly Heavenly expectation. No, 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 no. Very simple. Very simple. (laughs) Through all the trials, through all the hardship, through all the difficulty, there's always only one primary lesson God is teaching us every time. It is the lesson of faith. Ask yourself everything. You've gone through problems with family, marriage, children, job, money. You know what God has been teaching you? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I'm in I Trust me. Trust me. Don't listen to anybody. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Have faith in me. Have faith in me. Have faith. How many times God is really teaching us only that lesson? Have faith in me. Every lesson in the Bible had to do with faith. It that's it, it comes down to that, and I say to you, we need to position our lives, we need to position our church in a place where God can freely move in miracles, signs, and wonders, in breakthrough, in blessing, and it comes when Jesus is the center. When our faith is in him, our trust is in him. Yes, we have all this intelligence around, but my faith in God still remains intact. And that's vital. Very, very important. George Mueller, the children I read this story, and I thought I shade and close here. The children are dressed. He ran an orphanage, most of you know, ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat. The housekeeper of the orphanage informed George Mueller, there is no food for them to eat. So George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew that God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cut had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. So he asked George if he would use or he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in the 10 large cans of milk. Between the bread and the milk, it was just enough for 300 children. George Müller went on to say this It seemed to me best done by the establishing of an orphan house orphan house it needed to be something which could be seen even by the natural eye now if i a poor man simply by prayer and faith obtained without asking any individual the means for establishing and carrying on an orphan house there would be something which the lords uh, with the lords blessing might be instrumental in strengthening the faith of the children of god besides being a testimony to the conscience of the unconverted of the reality of the things of god this then was the primary reason for establishing the orphan house the first and primary object of the work was that god might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers, wherever it may be seen, God is faithful still and hears our prayers. So listen to me. Here's the power of God. This man, you read the book of this man, George Mueller, he's written. So phenomenal how God works. He simply positioned himself to say, God, unless you provide, I'm putting myself in this place. I will work, I will labor, I will do my duty. I will do everything I need to do. But God, I trust you. I'm not taking the element of faith away. I'm not great, God. I'm not talented. There are things I don't see that I need you to help me in. I need your unseen hand on my family. I need your unseen hand On my job. I need your unseen hand in this deal. Whatever it is, I need your unseen. Because there are things I don't see. Yes, I'm well connected. Yes, I know this person. Yes, I know. But God, ultimately, my faith is in you. That's the spirit we must function by. And that is what moves God's heart this morning. I want you to bow your heads with me.